Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. The sun is shining and we are together as God's people. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together. I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down.
may be seated. Good morning. Our scripture passage this morning is found in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and then 16 through chapter 3, verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good? Okay. Sometimes I wonder if, if when we think about heaven and earth, there is actually a disconnect. We have in our minds that, that there, we live here on earth and then we're going to live in the new heaven and the new earth. And, and they are really not all that connected. If we do think of a connection, we tend to think of the connection as a one-way street. We tend to think that how we live here on earth blazes a trail to our eternal destiny, whether that is heaven or hell. And while that is true, while the scriptures certainly tell us that our life on earth is, leads us to our eternal destiny... I think there is something more than that. What if that's not all there is to the connection and the picture? What if when we think about when we think about heaven, 
it's really not so much that we are, are trying to live our lives here in such a way that we live eternally with God, but rather that because of the way we think about eternity, it affects how we live now. I think this is Paul's point in Colossians chapter 3. I've been thinking a lot about this, about this whole idea of the connection of heaven and earth. And maybe that's why this caught my attention. But when you look at the beginning of chapter 3, beginning of verse 1, he says, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. I think that Paul is is trying to to tell us that how we live on earth is, is, is directly connected to what we think about God's eternal kingdom. If we think about God's eternal kingdom the way we tend to, well, let me put it this way. However we think about God's eternal kingdom is how we're going to live on earth. It is how we view things about how to live on earth, whether it's for Christ or not for Christ. And I think that this is the point that C.S. Lewis is making in his book, The Great Divorce. What he says in this book, his primary premise is this. People who are in heaven are there because they want what heaven is about. And people who are in hell are there because they want what hell is about. Now we think, in our, it took me a while to grab that because, you know, we've always kind of had the thinking that, of course, if you ask, everybody wants to go to heaven and nobody wants to go to hell. But Lewis's point is, maybe that's not the case. Because he says, heaven offers nothing to someone who has no interest in what God wants. And heaven is all about what God wants. Glenn Stossen, in in one of his books about living the resurrected life, says that heaven, really putting it plainly, is it's the realm where God rules fully and where God's will is always done. That's what heaven is. Heaven is the place, the realm, the reality of God ruling fully all that he desires about his kingdom and that his will is done exactly as he wants it to be done. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are really saying, Lord, we want our mindset to be a heavenly mindset. We want the things of your heavenly kingdom to be the way we live our lives now. We want your will now. We want to do your will. We want to think your thoughts. We want your priorities to be, become our priorities We want everything about your kingdom, everything about the reality of heaven and all that it means. That's what we want to live now. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying we get so wrapped up in the things of this earth that we lose the dynamic of what God's eternal kingdom is all about. 
And the way to live right on earth now is to focus our attention on the promises and the premises and the priorities of the kingdom then. I think what's hard for us about that is that we have bought into the old adage that says, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. And so we think to think too much about heaven, to think too much about God's eternal kingdom, to think too much about that reality is going to hinder the way we live now. But the truth is, if we are no earthly good, we're not really heavenly minded. If we're no earthly good, then our perspective about heaven is skewed and twisted from what God intends it. And so over the course of the next few weeks, during this season of Easter, I want us to think about some of the realities of heaven and how they affect the reality of life now as we live. And we'll start where Paul does here. And as you look at at this passage, right before he talks about, think about earthly, think about heavenly things, not earthly things, he says right before this, he's talking about rules. And I think Paul is saying to us, look, the kingdom of heaven is not about rules. It's about freedom. The kingdom of heaven is not about rules. It's about freedom. I think that's a little bit difficult for us because we have lived our lives and been told all of our lives that the kingdom is about obedience. I was reading something the other day. Someone said, when I think back to all of my upbringing in the church, if I were to summarize it into one word, it would be the word behave. Maybe that's your experience too. Behave. And what Paul, I think, is telling us is, you know, obedience is important. Obedience is certainly a part of the kingdom. But it's not about rules. It's about freedom. The rules are the things that we make up, the things that we design to say, this is how, what Christians look like. This is what Christians do. And we create this whole set of rules. Sometimes they're spoken and written down. Sometimes they're unspoken. You just have to figure them out. But these are the rules, and this is what the kingdom is about. And this is how you live on this earth, and this is how you get to heaven We've missed the whole point. Because the whole point is that we live with a heavenly mindset that frees us from rules and leads us instead to the freedom of holy living. Now again, we have this image probably in our minds that holy living, isn't that all about rules? Not biblically, it's not. Holy living in Scripture is the freedom to follow Jesus. It is the freedom to give ourselves away. It's the freedom to surrender. It's the freedom to love. It's the freedom to serve. It's the freedom to be generous. Those are the characteristics of freedom. Those are the characteristics of holiness. But somehow we have come to the place of believing that to be holy is to follow the rules. And Paul is saying, you've completely Missed it. Now, are there boundaries? Yes, there are boundaries. There certainly are boundaries. There are boundaries like the Ten Commandments. There are boundaries like the Sermon on the Mount. 
There are boundaries like the great commandments to love God and to love others. There are boundaries and there are descriptions of the kingdom. When we talk about the kingdom being what God's reality coming true and God's will being done, what we're talking about are not rules, but we're talking about the kind of heart that we have. We're talking about things like Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who are merciful. And what happens to these people? They inherit the kingdom. Not because they follow rules, but because they have found the freedom of Christ to give themselves away. The freedom to serve, the freedom to give, the freedom to love. This is what the kingdom is about. I was thinking about this a couple of months ago when I was struck by a picture that it it really grabbed me. I don't know if it will you, but it grabbed me. John and Helena have been repainting their house. And they've been painting the whole place. And I've been trying to help as much as I can. And so most of my job has been behind-the-scenes stuff. I have been, I've been doing putty, sanding, and a lot of taping. I wish I had counted how many yards of tape I and John and Helena and others have put down in their house. A lot of tape. And that was a lot of my job, and maybe that's why I thought of this. But one day it just hit me that tape is for people who are what I would call immature painters. Right? Inexperienced painters. Okay? I need a ton of tape if I'm going to be painting. Believe me, you want me to tape everything. And the more inexperienced the painter is, the more tape you want. If we were to hand the brush to Emma, their almost three-year-old daughter, you would want tape everywhere. Right, but the, but I also discovered because some of their friends have come to help them who have a lot more experience painting. When I said asked them about, do you want me to tape this? Looked at me like, no, I don't need tape. I don't use tape anymore because I, I I know how to do this well enough. I have a steady enough hand. I figured out the way to do that. That when I do the cut-ins along the baseboard, I can just do it. And it struck me that. That people who have become mature about painting and experienced about painting accomplish the same purpose. They just don't need the rules to keep them within the boundaries. And it struck me that throughout my life, I would have to say that for a lot of my experience, the church has turned that around. It it struck me that sometimes the people who claim to be the most mature are the most tied to the rules. The people who claim to be the most holy are the people who are so obsessed with the rules. And they want everybody else to be obsessed with the rules. And it struck me how backwards that is. Because in the kingdom, there is freedom. It's not freedom to do whatever we want to do, to treat people any way we want to treat them. It is the freedom to live the life that Jesus created us to live. We just don't need the rules. Why? Because we want to live that life. Nobody has to make us live that life. We want to live that life. It's in our hearts. It's our yearning. When we get to the new heaven, the new earth, there's not going to be any rules. 
Because everybody's heart will want what God wants. Everybody's mindset will be what God's mindset is. It will just be natural. It will be what what we do and who we are. And I think Paul is saying, why not live that life now? You don't need the rules. You need the boundaries. And what I also find fascinating about that, that, that image is that within the boundaries, I think God says to us, paint the wall anything you want to. Because see, when we start creating rules, we start confining more and more and more. God says the boundaries are out here. Our rules say, no, 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 it's in here. And our rules become not just don't put paint on the baseboard, but it's you can't paint the color of the wall that color. You can't put that kind of design on the wall. You can't do that kind of thing. And God says to us, do what you want. Be creative. I created you to be creative. Look at my creation. Look at how creative I am. Be creative. And rules continually stymie the creativity with which God created us. You might be thinking to yourself this morning, wow, the worship order is really mixed up today. You probably walk in and went, whoa, what's going on here? You probably were thinking, this is either going to be a really long sermon or something is different. And you're hoping something different, right? Yeah. Quite frankly, it just struck me that if we're going to talk about freedom and not following rules, we ought to shake things up a little bit today. And you know what I find? It makes us a little bit uncomfortable. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Because rules confine us. And the thing about rules is they give us security. But our security is not in the rules It's in Jesus. You see, one of the problems with rules is that rules cause us to be self-righteous and judgmental. We use rules to try to figure out who's better and who's worse. We use rules to look at other people and say, well, I'm better than they are because, look, I follow the rules and they don't follow the rules. Isn't that the same argument Jesus has with the Pharisees? I mean, they're experts at following the rules. They know the rules and they do the rules. And Jesus keeps saying to them, but you've totally missed the kingdom. Because you are obsessed with the rules instead of being obsessed with God. You're worried about following the rules instead of living in the freedom that God has given you. And they are condemned for that. And ultimately, their obsession with the rules leads them to put Jesus on the cross. Their obsession with the rules causes them to say that Jesus, the very Son of God, has a demon in him. The other problem with rules is that it causes us to live in disconnect with other people. If our obsession is the rules, then people really don't matter that much. If all we're thinking about is following the rules and checking off the rules, then we don't have to listen to people. We don't have to feel the pain that people feel. We don't have to to wrestle with people through their questions and their struggles. We don't have to forgive people. We don't have to, to walk with people. We don't have to really, we don't have to be merciful or to love them. As long as we follow the rules, that's all that matters. And again, Jesus says to the Pharisees, 
Yeah, you, you give your tithe and you do the religious festivals and you do all these, these, you follow all the rules. But you steal homes from widows. And you look across a crowd of people who are hurting and broken and you walk away from them and it doesn't affect you one bit. And you've missed the kingdom. Boundaries, that's one thing. Rules, something else completely. You will notice that Paul, and we didn't read all this, but on into chapter 3, Paul says, you need to take off the, the rags of your earthly desires and passions. And he has this whole list of, of things about sexual morality and greed and, and selfishness and all these things that he says, we need to put that stuff off. Those are things you need to get rid of. But then he says, but you need to put on clothes of generosity and clothes of mercy and gentleness and truth and grace. And then he says, and above all, put on love. It's about people. Put on love. I think Paul would, all, would say, okay, if you want to have one rule, it's the same rule that Jesus had. You know, the story of the man who comes to Jesus and says, okay, what's the greatest commandment? What's the best rule? And Jesus says, there's really only one. Everything is summarized into one. Love the Lord your God with all of your being and love others. You see, rules are rooted in fear. Freedom is rooted in love and trust. Why is it that we get so obsessed with rules? Because we are afraid. It creates an atmosphere of fear. We live in fear that we're going to make a mistake. We live in fear that we're going to mess up. We live in fear that that we're going to do something we're not supposed to do. And so the only way we can think of to, to remedy that is to create rules. And we think if we do the rules, if we follow the rules, if we confine ourselves to the rules, then we'll never mess up, we'll never make a mistake, and we can judge it and, and we can mark it. Unfortunately, all that does is lead us deeper and deeper into a life of fear. And the the Apostle John writes in his first letter, perfect love casts out fear. Paul writes to Timothy and said, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love. And the kingdom of God is not about fear. It's about freedom. And yes, freedom is risky. I got to be honest with you, the rules are a lot less risky than freedom is. When you you just follow the rules, there really is no risk. You just check off the boxes. And if if you start bumping outside the rules, somebody will smack you back in. Church is pretty good at that. It's about freedom. And freedom is risky because love is always risky. 
But God is the great, the one, the greatest risk taker the world has ever known and ever will know. God is ultimate. His being is about love and freedom and risk. And that's what he calls us to. And sometimes when you, when you paint with a free hand, you make mistakes. But that's why God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And the kingdom is about that kind of freedom to risk rather than fear that makes us hesitant to try and to trust. One of the things I love about communion is standing here and watching everyone stream to the front of the church. I love looking in your eyes and seeing your faces and connecting with you that way. And it just brings me great joy. And often as you're coming up, I'm praying for you and I'm giving thanks to God for you. And it's it's a holy moment for me. But I also like standing here because you get to see a lot of things going on that not everybody sees. And ever so often, there are things that happen that all you can do is smile. I don't know if it was last month or the month before when we were, when we were receiving communion. It was near the end of one of the surface, services, and there were two grade school girls who were walking down the front, came down the front together. And they, they tore off the bread, and they ate it, and they started making their way back down the aisle. And what I noticed is from right after they took the, the bread to when they started back down the aisle, they were arm in arm and they skipped all the way down there. I don't know if any of you saw that. I mean, right here in the sanctuary, they were skipping. Right in front of God and all of us. Here they were, skipping right here in the church, right? In a solemn moment. Here they are, skipping along the church. And all I could do was smile. And it reminded me, I think a story I shared with you once about a pastor who was out on Saturday with his children, Saturday before Easter. And he was so intently thinking about his sermon and pondering and, and worrying about it and trying to get it in his mind. And the children, they were just, you know, running around and flitting around like little butterflies. And pretty soon they say, hey, daddy, can you do this? And he looked up and they were skipping down the street. And he said, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And he went back to his thinking. And they said, no, Daddy, can you do this? And he said, yeah, I can do that. And they looked at him and said, well, do it. And he said, I thought to myself, I can't do that. I have a doctorate. I'm pastor of First Church. I have persons who live in this neighborhood, live on the street. You know, I can't go skipping down the street with these people. And he said his children looked at him and they put their hands on their hips and they said, na, 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 daddy can't do it. And of course, what are you going to do with that, right? So he said he kind of looked around and make sure the neighbors weren't looking and nobody on the street. And he said, and I did it. I skipped down the street. And he said, I thought to myself, why did I ever stop skipping? It's, it's really pretty easy. It's certainly easier on your knees than jogging. And you get good distance, and it's really a lot of fun. Why did I stop skipping? And I think it's because skipping seems childish. And skipping seems frivolous. But Jesus says, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a little child. 
And I don't know of any beings on earth who live in freedom like little children. But you know what I've discovered as I've thought about this? I think something in the back of the recesses of our mind tells us freedom doesn't seem very Christian. Freedom doesn't seem very Christian. Oh yeah, freedom from sin, we get that. But freedom to live in the joy and the grace and the love of Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about. And that's what God created us to be. And if our eternal existence with God is going to be about freedom, then why wouldn't we want to begin living that way now? If God created us as people to live in freedom, what is it that's preventing us from living in that freedom now? Not freedom to be selfish, Not freedom to be self-centered, but freedom to give ourselves away. Freedom to be generous with everything that we have. Freedom to serve. Freedom to love. Freedom to be what we were created to be in the grace of God in Christ. Holy Father, thank you for the gift of freedom. Thank you. Thank you that you love us so deeply that you want us to be free. Forgive us. For when we allow the rules that we create to keep us from being what you desire us to be and what your kingdom is designed to be. Father, as we come to this table today, let it be a table of freedom for us. Freedom to experience your grace and mercy. Freedom to know the joy of life with you and with each other. To the grace of Christ we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup, Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. just means to dip in. So as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. 
If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have tray of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I like to mention that we practice open communion to Wesleyan Church. Maybe it's the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with the desire of your heart to be free in Christ, then come receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, heavenly Father. Jesus is calling you.
Father, we thank you for the freedom that's ours in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will continue to speak into our hearts and our minds in all that we are and all that we do. Father, as we come to this moment of prayer, we, we think about this world that you have created. And we pray that you will give us a deeper love for this world and every person in it. Our hearts are burdened about the needs and the struggles of this world. Father, we, we see so much pain. We see war. We see violence. We see people hurting each other. And we ask, Father, that you will bring peace. We pray that you will bring your spirit and your power to bear upon so many places of the world where there's war and chaos. We think about the the people in Syria, this recent attack. Lord, we ask that you will bring peace and healing. We pray for your church around the world. We think of of our brothers and sisters in so many places of the world who face persecution and opposition. I think especially of Northeast Nigeria. And uh, we pray for Hantu Solomon, who is now a widow and a mother of five and a church leader and trying to, to help others even as she grieves herself. We pray for her and her family and for the the Christian villagers and the church that they would remain strong in spite of the opposition. We pray, Father, for, for your continued work and help among people who are giving their lives to serve you in various places of the world. We pray for John Christensen, who uh, last Sunday had an eye injury, and it's curtailed his, his trip uh, back to Indonesia and to work more on the Kisar translation. We pray, Father, that you will heal him. And we also pray that you will give wisdom and timing about the travel plans to accomplish this task that you have given him. Father, we think of churches around us here. Today we pray for St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Church in Belfast and Father Dennis Mancuso. May your grace and blessing rest upon this congregation of believers as they worship and serve you and serve others. Father, we pray for the needs and the burdens in our own lives right here. We ask, Father, that you will, you will give comfort to all who are grieving today. We think especially of the families of Ella Woolsey and Jerry Alderman. We pray for Nancy Lucky and her family, the death of her father this week. And all who are grieving, may they know your comforting presence. Father, we pray for all who are struggling with health issues. We ask that your grace and healing power would be upon Elijah Beardsley, Leonard Watson, Florence Tuburn, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, and Tim Nichols, Bob Brown, and Louise Princell, and for Hudson Hess. For Nancy Cole and Brian Orbacher and Peter Lingenfelter and Chuck Barrett. For Cheryl O'Brien and Ben King and Doris Asepian and Isla Shea and Sheldon Emerson. For Bill Getty and Mike Raybuck and for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen. For Linda Roth and Emily Cricklar and others who are on our minds and hearts today. Bring your healing grace to each of them. Father, fill our minds with your truth 
Fill our hearts with your love. Fill our souls with your spirit. Fill all that we are with you. That we may live in the joy and the grace of freedom to serve you and to serve one another and to give ourselves away as Christ has given himself to us. And we pray this in his name, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. Yeah.
This morning we have the joy of uh, welcoming new folks into membership of the church. And uh, before we do that, Matt Webb has something he wants to share with us as, uh, as a congregation. Just want to share just a minute or two uh, in reference to the insert in the bulletin uh, this morning uh, regarding the pastoral call vote, which is going to happen next Sunday uh, here at the church. Pastor Wes has served faithfully here for 22 years as our senior pastor. Um, This year marks the end of his most recent four-year call uh, to our congregation. It's my privilege to represent the elders and bring to you a unanimous recommendation for an extended call to Pastor Wes. The difference between an extended call and the typical four-year call um, is that the elders will continue to go through a review process in coordination with the district office every four years. And during that time in four years would then determine whether or not the vote for a continued service again needs to come to the church membership. In essence, it's a vote of higher confidence than the typical four-year call to to the church. The vote will take place next Sunday before and after uh, each of the three services in the lobby, in the lower lobby at the front of the sanctuary. Um, And as members would like to ask you to please participate in that. If you're not able to be here, there will be absentee ballots available at the church office that you can get from uh, Patty Stalker. We will make those available. Um, those just need to be returned before Sunday of next week. And if any of you have any questions about the process, uh, please feel free to, to speak with me if you need any clarification on any of this. Thank you. We're all part of Christ's church, and there is a sense in which joining the church today is a further step that these folks are making in connection to the church. As you see in the bulletin, there are others joining at other services. And so I'm just going to ask them a few questions, and then uh, Jesse Fink is going, one of our elders, is going to share just a brief word of introduction. Do you affirm your loyalty and allegiance to Jesus Christ, and do you desire for Christ to continue to shape you into his image? If so, answer, I do. Do you affirm the core doctrines of historic Christianity and pledge yourselves to the unity of Christ in the diverse group of believers who are the Houghton Wesleyan Church? If so, answer, I do. Do you affirm your allegiance to God and the church by participating in the life of the church, contributing to the support of the church, and serving the church by using your gifts and abilities as the church fulfills its mission in the world? If so, answer, I do. We do want to give you just a a brief moment to know a little bit more about uh, Joe and Lisa who are joining today. So Jesse's going to uh, just share a few words of introduction. All right. So I'm super excited to uh, introduce Joe and Lisa to you. Um, Joe and Lisa have three boys, uh, one of which is represented here today, uh, Liam. Evan and Bronx here. Um, Melissa and I have had the opportunity to get to know them a little bit, and it's uh, it's been awesome to spend some time with them uh, and just to get to know who they are and uh, get excited about them joining our our community, our church family. Uh, They are uh, currently in Fillmore, um, but are in the process of buying a house in Houghton. And uh, so they're looking forward to becoming more involved as life uh, calms down, uh, as well as once they're uh, living a little closer in the area. So, um, as far as uh, you know, their lifestyle, we found out 
that they're super passionate about uh, vegan living. Uh, and one of the most exciting things that I'm personally a little bit jealous about is they have a pet pig, uh, which <laughs> I kind of decided that I'm probably going to have to follow in that. But, um, anyway, they are, uh, as you guys uh, who have been here in the previous uh, last week's service, the baptismal service, uh, came to know, they've been through uh, a crazy last year, and God has really been working in their hearts. And uh, it's just really exciting uh, to hear about the ways that God is pursuing them, uh, the ways that they are seeing his goodness and committing to follow him, uh, and just the fact that they desire to uh, become a more committed part of our church family. So we look forward to uh, seeing them around and spending some more time with them. Thank you. I would ask the members of the church to stand and to affirm your commitment to Joe and Lisa today. Do you, the members of this church, welcome Joe and Lisa into the fellowship of this church? Do you commit yourselves to walk with them in love through discipleship and counsel, exhortation and grace, and to join all of our hearts together and our lives together in patience, gentleness, and love? If so, answer, we do. I'm going to ask everyone to stand as we sing uh, the last hymn. And after that, after the benediction, I want to invite all of you to come and to greet them, welcome them, and let that be our greeting time for this morning as well as uh, we're dismissed after the benediction. Thanks.
And now by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Be sure and come and greet Joe and Lisa. Thank you.